welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Health's Kitchen podcast, and I am really excited because today is the day that I start to connect it all together, or at least we start together to connect it all together. So I'm sure you're tired of me talking about athletes and their connection to health and performance in the kitchen and why athletes are similar to chefs and servers in a restaurant, but I wanted to help prove this point because I really truly believe that there is a major connection here. And if we can figure out how to manage ourselves like we manage athletes, we can probably have a pretty big change in the restaurant industry. So who better to talk to than somebody who works with athletes? So I went to one of my former mentors, one of the head strength and conditioning coaches or the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Guelph. And we get talking about how we manage athletes, how we can infer that to managing employees, and how you can build a process for yourself to become better at almost anything and using some practices, some skills, and how you can break that down into something that is effective for you. So without further ado, let's get into introducing today's guest. Today, I have two guests, Josh Ford and Mac James. Josh Ford is a head strength conditioning coach at the University of Guelph and he oversees over 10 different athlete teams overseeing their performance in the gym and their training so that they can have excellent performances during their game and their season. And Mac James is the assistant strength conditioning coach at the University of Guelph under Josh Ford, and we actually met interning together under Josh Ford about five years ago. So we're all connected together in that way. I used to work under Josh Ford as an intern for a year. That's where I went Mac. Mac sticked around. I went and did other things. And they have so much knowledge when it comes to getting someone from wherever they are in their performance to a higher level of performance and being able to manage the stresses that are placed upon them. So lots of amazing information. And without further ado, let's go listen in. time we're still recording levels are good and we'll get into it so yeah so i am sitting here with josh ford head strength conditioning coach at the university of guelph 
I believe so, or at least it was that title when we worked together, and I was one of your interns, uh, original interns at the University of Guelph when I had my athlete days. We also have Mac here, which I don't actually know your last name. Mac James. There we go, Mac James, perfect. And uh, he works under the strength conditioning department as well, and we intern together as well here. So I thought I would give the floor to both of you, just introduce yourselves real quick, and then we'll uh, take the conversation from there. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, so I'm Mac James. I'm now the assistant strength and conditioning coach, um, mostly working with basketball and volleyball varsity teams this year at the University of Guelph, and also still training some external clientele, uh, kids from around the community, individuals and teams from different sports. Um, been here now five years under a contract, kind of more full-time range, but I did start with Aaron. Yeah. Uh, same same time as a, a volunteer staff after I graduated from Guelph Humber and just never left. Yeah. Lots of people <laughs> have those stories with <laughs> Guelph, right? They get here, they never leave. I left hilariously. I went the opposite direction of everyone else because like, everybody had to Guelph from Toronto and I ran into Toronto, but <laughs> details, right? Yeah. And They've been in and out of Toronto a couple times. Right. He always uh, ended back. And Josh. You guys are, so you guys are two of the OGs, the original interns. It started, so I started here six years ago uh, in 2014, I believe it was, in March. And uh, and the, the program has changed a lot since then. And so when I started, it was, we worked with six teams over three sports, basketball, volleyball, hockey, and it's grown to 10 teams over five sports. And that's likely to change as our new support model is released uh, in the coming uh, in the coming year. Uh, so you guys were some of the first people that you know I counted on so that we could you know take care of 200 plus athletes when it was sort of just me and we were sharing space with the the football program and the stadium and you know so a lot has changed. We've obviously max positions become full time. We have more part time paid staff. We still have a bunch of student staff. Some are. Um, also not students so we have what I would call like professional interns uh, people who are in that period where they're graduated uh, sort of like Mac was where they're graduated they're trying to get experience they might have had experience elsewhere and they're you know trying to grow and we have a new facility uh, you know 3,000 square feet that's also about to expand so a lot has happened and uh, it's been really fun nice yeah those were uh, fun days when I started out I wasn't uh expecting as much of a crash course that I got when I showed up, <laughs> um, but it was definitely a blast. And I use it all the time, the stuff I learned on the gym floor as a kinesiologist, um, particularly now that I'm at a corporate gym, some of the time I'm literally teaching a class similar to what we did with the athletes. So you come in, workouts on the board, I get to just coach. I'm not a little cheerleader at the front of the room where everybody else is doing stuff. I'm like coaching getting in there with people and really working on like functional movement and stuff, which is so much fun. Finally back to what I like doing. And the members at this gym seem to be enjoying it as well. Cause they're like, I want to lift heavier, but I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, don't worry. I got you. I got That's you. So it's been fun. The, the general pop thing is cool. I just started precision nutrition coaching like for myself. So I'm, oh, nice. being, I'm being coached, which I'm really excited about. And it's been fun so far, but the approach that they take because they work mostly work with general pop so it's i'm a bit unique being a 
you know, strength coach being coached by someone else for nutrition, you know, for a nutrition thing. And they provide training programs and stuff. But um, a lot of the approaches that they take, it's the same thing. And people sometimes like being treated like athletes, right? They think that, you know, it's a it's a bit different and more fun. And really, I think it just goes down to, you know, the caring piece and, and wanting people to be better. And a lot of the people who are in these coaching professions, strength and conditioning professions, we the level of knowledge is a little bit higher. Obviously, we work with a specialized population. So some of what we do collegiately in terms of strength and conditioning is obviously a bit different than, you know, how you'd approach a, a general pop, but most of it's the same. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing, right? Is Exactly, right? And most of it's the same. And also, like, general pop is hungry for knowledge. Because I think a lot of people kind of talk down to general pop a lot. And I find, just something I've seen across the board in my, you know, day job. And, you know, going in and doing a talk where, like, let's talk about, like, what hypertrophy means, you know, and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm actually learning. And they really eat it up, I've noticed, across the board. And they want more, and they want more, and they want more. So I've seen that. And I just kind of talk to them like athletes. And they're, uh, people are pretty receptive to that, which is really cool um but that being said i know my listeners are probably asking why i'm talking to a strength conditioning coach but the point is is that i believe that working in a restaurant is considerable considerable to being an athlete it's pretty well similar when i was working in a restaurant myself i was noticing that i was wearing myself out comparable to when i was on the ice or when i was in the gym uh feeling pretty similar so I thought, why not bring someone on board who works with athletes for this interview to kind of get that rolling? But before we get to all the talking shop side, how did you get into strength and conditioning? So <clears throat> I was always active growing up, enjoyed sports. My brother always played sports, and he was a big uh, inspiration for me, so that was natural. Um, and then... After I graduated from high school, I had a, did all kinds of different funny stuff. I worked in a hotel. Uh, I, I did work in hospitality a little bit. My brother works in you know uh, hotels, so there's a hospitality component there. Um, and uh, I ended up going to film school, uh, which was really different. So that was sort of my first sort of educational experience. I, wor- I ended up I just always had an interest in sort of fitness, and my first bit was uh, more about bodybuilding for myself. So if you look back at pictures of me a few years ago, you'd look, no, they're not that good. <laughs> 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 to be honest with you. Scroll through the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you're like, ah, no. But um, that was kind of my first interest. And then I started to become more interested in performance and how humans work and operate. And that interest has just keep growing and growing and gone in different ways. And now it's more about the psychological piece for me, really, than it is about the physical the things that really interest me now. Because if we can... If we can like harness the mental piece, then the physical piece is easy. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but uh, ended up going to York. So I worked as a personal trainer. So I worked in the private setting, uh, did that for a year, and then I went to uh, York University for kinesiology and health science as a uh, undergrad student. I was 20 when I started university because I'd already done the film school thing and worked a little bit, a couple of places, and then uh, met Steve Lidstone, who currently works at Brock. Yeah. Uh, and in their sports performance department, and uh, that was kind of the first intro for me for like athletic strength and conditioning. So thinking about working with athletes, and I had initially I really didn't. I actually wanted more to work like one on one doing personal training and stuff. And then I was like, oh shit, this is actually pretty cool, you know. And it's a different challenge. So that's what really kind of sparked that area of it. And then I started to hear about different people that were sort of um, like 
you know, the godfather of strength and conditioning, the modern would be Mike Boyle. So I ended up doing an internship with him. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is where I'm going with this. So I was a little late into the game because by the time I graduated university, I was 24. Yeah. And thinking, I feel like I'm behind. <laughs> I'm behind everybody, you know. It's like, but it is what it is. Everybody's story is different and everybody has a different path and nothing ever goes exactly as you had planned. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Um, yeah. I was pretty uh, driven when I first started working with you to working with athletes and then changed sort of my path um, to become a kinesiologist and kind of look at similar problems, but in a little bit of a different way. Um, so yeah, everybody has that, you know, all over the map kind of story and how you end up where you are. And, uh, even my time in my restaurant, and I've talked about this on the podcast, have given me skills that like totally transfer beautifully to what I do now, especially when I'm at the clinic and like managing people, yeah. it's like way easier than ever working the restaurant floor. Cause it's just like, Oh, one patient at a time and just get them in and get them out. And it's, it's beautiful. I absolutely love it. But, um, you're also a bit of a foodie as well, right? Uh, Indeed, sir. You always talked about food when I worked under <laughs> you, and uh, you were always giving me recipes and everything. So you do have that connection to food and that appreciation for the skill of it. Where did your obsession with food come from? It's tasty. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think originally, you know what's funny is, like, I've always thought about this, because even as a kid, I remember, like, taking my mom's company's coming cookbooks. Yeah. I'd be like eight years old and I'm like trying to make chicken cordon bleu or something for my parents for dinner. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. Like really what, there's, I just always enjoyed it. Like yeah. there's a recipe, you could follow it. It was like step by step. And if you did it the right way, something good happened and you could have something tasty. And I always enjoyed the, like the thought of being able to produce something like that for somebody else's enjoyment. You know, like the social aspect of food and like being able to like produce something to, to make somebody else happy. Yeah. So it probably had to do with like my grand, my grandmothers. Uh, they were both really good cooks. And I remember cooking a lot with my one uh, grandmother and she would make, I still do like stuff at Christmas, like the stuff that I gave, I made for you guys back. Mm -hmm. That was all her, like the rum balls. She did a cherry loaf, like almond fingers, shortbread and stuff like that. So, um, when we we lived we lived far away but we visited fairly often they live in toronto we were up north and we would always cook like she we would always cook with her and then uh my grandmother in ottawa she would she was like had all kinds of crazy desserts too but i remember like doing hams with her that was kind of her thing and she had sort of different things that she was good at and i always remember cooking with them and then with my mom too but like a lot of it was like on my own i just for some reason i remember like making granola <laughs> nice yeah and yeah. then it just grew and like i was kind of interested in trying different things and like the craft of it i think is really like the the it can get really intense and you look at some of the restaurants like the best restaurants in the world and some of the chefs like Farron adria and what's the guy that uh runs noma thomas kohler no no it's not uh, him man, follow him on instagram he, he's always posting cool stuff um you know, and then it was like trying to experience those things more. So I'd like make stuff and I'd like to like try everything. And there's really not a whole lot of foods I don't like. Like if you, you could almost put anything in front of me and I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Spicy, like whatever types of foods. Yeah. So the, the experience of it and trying different things. And then it was like, I wanted to go and experience it at the highest level. So trying to like find, anytime I travel, I'd always try to like find the best coffee in town. Yep. The best craft beer in town, which is kind of more of a 
the current thing now, you know, the best restaurant in town. I'm always trying to like go and experience those things because you could take away, like there's a great book about Disney World. I've never actually read it, but about how like that whole thing came about and you know, all the little details that they, they, they use to create the experience. Yeah. And we try, like, those are the things that I think about when we try to bring back here is like, so you go to a great restaurant. I've been to some great restaurants and you're like, man, I would have paid like three times the amount of that because it was just so fun, right? Like part of it's who you go with and enjoying that piece, but like part of it's, you know, the drinks and, and the food and the service, like what does the actual service look like? And then how do you, how can we take that feeling and then make people feel that in our setting? Yeah. You know? And then they're like, you know, who I want to do that again. Right. But they don't have to pay for us. <laughs> right? Yeah, when you just come over for dinner, it's a, it's amazing, right? Yeah. But I think that's a really similar story to a lot of people in the food service industry. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of chefs, and they kind of got into it that way. They saw, like, a moment of sort of a little bit of that magic of how you can take all these ingredients and turn it into this amazing thing um, through various processes, and if you do it just right, you're going to make some magic. Mm -hmm. And then connecting that to front of house teams and understanding how to take that food and build the story and build the atmosphere and create magic to almost make this whole performance. Um, and that's, that's some of the fun, and I think that's when the restaurant industry is the most fun, when you know that you're nailing that and you see it all coming together between the uh, heart of house team and the kitchen and then making that connect to the front of house team and you know to the bartenders, to the hosts, and how we manage the guests and the atmosphere and absolutely every detail that's saw about that and really good restaurants like that's sublime you know and it's one of my favorite things uh to see happen um so i think that's a similar story to a lot of people in the food service industry um you know that connection to the food in exactly that way and everyone i've interviewed so far kind of has a story like that <laughs> or you ended up just in the industry by chance yeah uh you know kind of outside of chance you're like you got a job somehow and then you stuck with it yeah. you know for whatever reason out of necessity or whatever it may be and then maybe fell in love that way. You know, fell in love yeah. with it because you were in it. And then you're like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And you get inspired by people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the chefs at the University of Guelph that I interviewed for the first episode, he had that story. So uh, I didn't what, listen to it. So uh, Ricardo Garcia. Okay. Uh, he works uh, up at uh, Creelman, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he was telling his story how he started as a dishwasher because he needed a job. And then he just sort of saw what the chefs were doing. And he was like, hey, guys, what are you doing? Can I come see? And then he was like, they were started to show him stuff because he was eager, you know. And I kind of went the other direction. I started as a dishwasher and saw what the front of house team was doing, and I was like, "Hey guys, what up?" Yeah. And like went over and uh, started learning that way. So uh, pretty it makes magical. me think of it makes me think of uh, a coffee shop in Toronto that I used to go to all the time. I lived there called Fahrenheit, and it was like yeah. <clears throat> a little hole in the wall, but they always remembered your name. And there was like a sense of community and they knew what you wanted. Like they, they knew what your drink was. Or if you like got different things, different times, they'd be talking to you like, hey, I just got a new roast in. Like we just, we got this. This is sick. It has all these tasting notes. And, you know, they, if they didn't think that the coffee they just poured, like the, the espresso they just uh, pressed for you was appropriate, they're t tossing it and be like, no, no, I want to make sure this is right. You know, and it's like, oh, hey, you'd, you'd open the door and it'd be like, oh, hey, Josh, how's it going today, man? Where do you want to sit? Like, what's yeah. up? And you just, it was such a great community. And that's, you know, you, you talked about the recipes in the heart of house, like the kitchen. It's kind of like our training programs almost, right? And it's like, you know, there's, there's some magic in there, but you could have the best recipe and the best food, right? But it's how you, so the recipe could exist, 
but it's how you execute it and then how it's delivered, just like a training program for us or, or general pop or whatever. It doesn't matter. You could have the best training program, but if it's not delivered very well and the experience isn't good, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna remember it in the same way. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's and that's sort of the that's yeah. As I always say, the magic of it, but that's it, right? It has to all come together. And yeah, you can have an excellent food. I've been to restaurants with absolutely excellent food, but the service staff style totally like blew it, um, and can ruin a meal, right? Or even the atmosphere, or you know, the even down to details like the music you're playing or whatever it may be can like totally ruin it, right? And if it's not congruent and you're not pulling that all together, um, then you're gonna have a problem. But that's a good segue, connecting, uh, you know, your training programs to how uh, you manage athletes, and then connecting that to maybe how we could look at training and maintaining service staff in restaurants. Um, so this is a big jump in a lot of people's minds when I talk to restaurant people, but I don't think it is, because I think working in restaurants, as I said, is really hard. It's super demanding on your body. So how do we go about maintaining that body so people can stay in their career longer? Because currently at this point in time, the average restaurant employee only stays in the industry 4.5 years. Massive retention problem across the industry on the whole, 67,000 open positions in Canada for restaurants at this moment in time um, because they can't find staff to fill it because their people are burning out. Yeah. So... When you're working with an athlete and you have somebody who comes on board, can you explain a little bit of your process of maybe when people are just coming on board with you? Because I think there's a lot of service employees that would like to get into exercise and maintain their bodies and their health, but how they don't know how to get into that. So how do you do that with an athlete when you first get with them? Great question. We've actually talked more about this and what we might even do different, you know, as we move as we move forward and learn and reflect on, you know, how successful we've been implementing new new student athletes. And in our setting, it's a bit different because you might have a men's hockey athlete that's coming in that's not really a true freshman. They're they might be 20, 22 years old when they come in. They might really only be here for one year, and they're going to play professionally. Yep. Or you might have a seventeen-year-old, you know, women's volleyball athlete who's never touched a weight before, never worked on jump technique. It's just really only done sport training. So we have quite a range, and uh, Mac actually might be able to speak better to this because he really worked hard to develop the uh, Ground Zero program that we have. So. I think uh, what's important is if someone, we, first of all, we need to identify kind of where they're at so we can meet them where they're at when they come in, right? If we, if we think like this is, the, you know, this is what we want to get out of you, but we're not considering where they're, you know, what experience level they have when they come in and maybe how their body is moving and we have no idea of you know, what they're capable of and we just try to fit square peg round hole, that's when they get hurt. That's when they're they're disinterested, right? They're not they're not connected to their purpose of being better at their sport. They just feel like they're being asked to do something that you know isn't actually going to help them, or they don't feel like is going to help them. And so, one of the things that has been going through my mind more recently is thinking about engagement versus compliance. So it's really you know we can get compliance and people can check a box and say you know I showed up to train today, but are they really engaged in the process of getting better? And I think for most athletes coming in as true freshmen that are younger with less training experience, it should be a slow cook. And so Mac worked hard to develop our Ground Zero program that addresses that. So I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah, so in terms of training an athlete like globally and introducing it to them for the first time, we have to understand the needs 
of the athlete and like the demands that are going to be put on them. And half the time it's like, let's just make them an overall better mover and better athlete. So the program's more tailored to that. If you like take in someone that's working in the restaurant injury in industry, we need someone like yourself to identify the demands. They'll also probably tell you, I do this and this all the time yeah. during the day. And then you're going to be more focused on that. Um, stress is stress and we're basically just preparing them the best way we can to deal with that stress and be as robust as possible yeah. to deal with it. And like Josh said, it's a slow cook kind of deal. So in a two month program, I can slow cook a first year athlete to be more able to handle the stress that we put on like a second and third year athlete that have done training with us before. Yeah. And at the same time, they're working on like their competency of the movements that they're doing, but they're also gaining some level of robustness that they can deal with yeah, more yeah. of that stress, right? Yeah. So that might be a comparable to the restaurant industry and how people deal with training. Yeah, I really like the uh, terminology slow cook you're using <laughs> there. Uh, a, because it's totally perfect, and uh, pun intended. But B, that's a really big deal, right? For a lot of uh, service employees, maybe they haven't done any training before. Maybe they haven't done any wellness. Um, that uh, I've used that with quotations because that's such a broad term. But maybe they haven't done any sort of maintenance of their body before. And I think a lot of people uh, may see articles online. They may see you know videos on YouTube, whatever it may be. And sometimes those are designed for people who have already been training for a long time. But a lot of people see that and don't know that and then may bite off more than they can chew right off the bat, right? Especially if you're already doing an eight, 10 hour day in a restaurant, you know, am I, is it really realistic to turn around and say, yeah, go put an hour and a half into the gym, you know, that like a lot of people, they may be seeing people saying that, right? And thinking that that's the only way you're gonna have progress. Um, whereas it may be more likely to say, hey, why don't we just like start with like 20 minutes of exercise at home, right? And do like a really easy push-pull, right? Or something like that that you can do at home. Uh, not a lot of investment um, in like weights and stuff, but just start there. And that's probably what they can manage. And I think that's something that um, we leave out when we're thinking about helping people. Um, is that something that you are kind of connecting with with the athletes a lot? Like are, or when you do the slow cook version, you're getting better results out of the athletes, right? over that year um, and their trajectory is probably better yeah I mean it's designed as two months right mm -hmm. so <clears throat> you know we are always kind of trying to have a balance between giving them a carrot and motivating them because every athlete comes in thinking that they should be doing every advanced exercise ever and oftentimes you know we're trying to manage that along with coaches expectations of we want it we want them better and we want them better now yeah but the reality is that's not really how it works and you know you're seeing the proliferation of terms like load management in the NBA and NHL and NFL because what people are starting to realize and what sports science is telling us is that we don't do a very good job collectively in applying stress to people in order to get positive adaptations primarily and so it's <clears throat> it's a bigger piece in terms of like thinking about how do all of the stressors that are on someone managed and integrated and all those people that are putting stressors on someone so like we put stress on an athlete right physical stress their sport coach puts stress on they have stress with relationships and family and school and all those things and 
one, do they have the tools to be able to handle those appropriately? And most athletes coming in don't. And we know yeah. that because in our setting, the uh, the rise of mental health issues in universities, especially among student athletes, is tremendous. And so that's something that's sort of on the top of the, you know, food chain of things that we're talking about. And it's the same thing in the hospitality industry. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it's kind of a load management problem. Is one things are being asked of employees that that are probably beyond their capabilities, and there's usually, I mean, you're you're. You mentioned earlier, I think it was 67,000 positions or something that are available. I think people are getting to the point where it's like not worth it anymore. Right? Yeah. Because, but traditionally, maybe it was, you know, the GM said, okay, well, this guy sucks. He's not listening. Get out. Someone's lined up ready to work for 10 dollars $6 an hour or whatever it was, you know, yeah. previously to wash dishes or be a sous chef or, you know, a saucier or whatever it is. And it's like people might not want to do that anymore. Yeah. And, and be abused in it. And, yeah. you know, I read all of Bourdain's books and, you know, the, yep. the industry is seedy and it's very similar to sports because, uh, you know, in many instances, the demands that people put on athletes or people in the hospitality industry are more than they're capable of handling without turning to drugs and alcohol or without, tur you know, um, dealing with mental health issues and depression and anxiety because they just can't. They don't have the tools to be able to handle those things. And so yeah. I think that is more of a leadership issue more than anything, right? When we think about top down, what are we asking of people? And are we doing a better job of communicating and integrating all of the people that are asking of those hospitality employees and of the student athletes or, or athletes wherever so that we're putting appropriate levels of stress on. And I know that you've talked before about sort of wellness within the hospitality industry. And I think that's something that, you know, should continue to grow from like a, a, a management level perspective where people in hospitality have a better understanding of, you know, sleep and, you know, sh like managing shifts. And because sometimes people work until 2 a.m. and then they're coming back to prep the next day at, yeah. you know, 6 a.m. or whatever it is for the next service. And it's like, it's just not realistic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's something that I think people are sort of understanding a little bit or the conversation is starting to happen. Um, I've talked with some restaurants where they're starting to get it. So they're like, okay, you can't um, like look at like when patio season opens in the summertime, your restaurant becomes 50% bigger, right? And generally, and that means that you have a whole new level of management that you're going to have to put on your employees to help manage them with all the problems that are there. And a lot of people are starting to wake up to it to be like, oh, we can't put someone out on like a hot patio as a service staff for 10 hours <laughs> and expect by the end of the day that they're still going to be performing great. Right, um, you know, and looking at hydration and making sure they get proper breaks and seven eight, they weren't thinking about that before, and it's something that they're now looking at where they're like, "Wow, people just like suck if you put them out in the heat and work them for eight hours, uh, you know, and passing into a hot kitchen or whatever it may be, right?" Yeah. And it seems really obvious uh, when you say it, but you know, maybe it, there wasn't a need to actually look at that side of it, right? And now people are starting to wake up to it. Thankfully, a lot of businesses aren't at the same time. They're just like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We just throw people out there. We're building mental mm -hmm. toughness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that, right? Yeah, we're making you mentally strong. And I'm like, yeah, well, hmm. yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, it's interesting. The other thing connecting to that when we're working with athletes 
is the uh, term is specificity, so making sure that we're actually doing things that are going to help people perform better. And I think when it comes to restaurants, and I think why people have been hopping on like my writing on my blog and stuff, because uh, it's specific to them. Right? So if you look at a restaurant employee, depending on what position, they're going to have specific demands on their body, and we should look at that. And even if an employee on their own is looking to improve their health, look at what you're doing every day in your job, right? And then build exercise around that, build training around that, build recovery around that to make you feel better. So my most obvious example is like, let's say you have to lift a 50-pound bag of flour. You can build a training program to make that easier for yourself, right? Um so I guess my question to go with that when it comes to athlete specificity is how do you go about looking at that process for an athlete and maybe some knowledge so if somebody's listening to this, how they could maybe apply it to themselves? That's what I was kind of alluding to before is like creating a needs analysis. Yeah. So looking at the tasks that they need to do. Because not every athlete is the same. Like we're all human. We all have to move very similar ways and through similar patterns. No, like you and I don't, necessarily move with different patterns if we have a task to do we're gonna go through the same range of motion at our hips like relatively um, so we have to access that and we have to use the muscles that are supporting that joint so we look at it globally like that but then maybe positionally a hockey goalie is going to do something different than a hockey forward in terms of exercise they might move in a different plane of motion so we might do a different exercise for the lower body um, between the two of them but uh, generally we do most of the same stuff with our athletes but when you really look look at the nitty-gritty and go to specific like specific exercises we're looking at the needs analysis and saying like oh this person is front of house they don't really lift a lot but they walk a lot like maybe we're gonna target more energy system or uh, conditioning stuff and then just have the, the strength in the lower body to take that volume all day yeah to be supportive of it right so exactly um yeah so that needs analysis right and i think of it if an employee is hearing this and are looking to do something think about what you do right and then build from there you know always start there um and i even catch myself in that trap sometimes where i think about my own training goals and i'm like you know, thinking about what I do, and then I stray because I'll, like, hear something or I'll listen to some podcast, and I'm like, oh, I don't need to be doing that. That has nothing to do with what I'm, what my goals are, right? The other thing is sometimes we try to undo the things that they're always doing repetitively. So, for an example, if I have, like, a racket sport athlete that's always hitting a certain way, and you compare that to a waiter or waitress who's carrying something the same way all the time, you might want to go into uh, an off season for them and like reverse some of that stuff that they're doing. Yeah. So maybe they want to do some carries on the other side, loaded, work on their core on the other side, try to undo that stuff so they have more balance. Yeah. Um, that's very similar with athletes that we have because everyone has a dominant hand, dominant leg they like to use over and over again. So in the off season, it's a good time to kind of come back and work on things to create more balance and then that gives them more protection when they go back into the job into the sport and then they're more resilient to the movements that they're going to do again yeah i was just listening to a podcast specifically talking about that and it was and i forget his name it was and i can't forget the podcast name i'll put it in the notes um but it was strength conditioning coach Mm -hmm. from like a football background that now works with ballet dancers Mm -hmm. um 
and he works shift. with yeah <laughs> quite a shift and he's like big football guy so like the athletes are always like the dancers are always like who are you what is happening here um, but it's really interesting him tackling that but he works in a school for the fine arts um, so he also works with like musicians and those sorts of things as well so like let's say a violinist that's holding a position and uh, I'll remember this coach's name and I'll put it in the notes when I go find it uh, and the episode and everything but uh, he was talking about that specifically is that balance you know and saying if somebody's holding the same position all the time maybe looking to get them out of that position in their training to build that strength in the other direction my most obvious example of that is uh, chefs who stand chopping all day and they're hunched over, right? So maybe we're looking to open up that posterior chain and looking to get more rows or something. Like, that's a super basic example. But trying to open up in the other direction, right? Build that strength in the other direction to build that resiliency. So it'd be just like a hockey or, like, field hockey athlete that's always hunched over this thick, similar. Yeah, right? Awesome. Yay. That's, like, something I've been thinking about for the last few weeks since I heard that podcast. I'm so happy that you're bringing that up. Yeah, it's all leading to overuse injuries, right? Exactly. Um, I'm going to go write a blog post all about this. I'm so (laughs) absolutely excited. Um, But I'm not sure if, you know, the the demands that a student athlete, so you say there's things coming from all directions, Mm -hmm. um, they're also probably working jobs as well a lot of them, right, to pay the bills and tuition while they're also training as an athlete and the demands that uh, come on you from that. I know many people in the service industry are dealing with multiple demands, right? They may be a student, they may have a family, what have you, right? Um, So how do you, if you're working with an athlete that is doing it all, how do you help manage that for them? Is there anything that, you know, you're probably seeing it with the athletes, um, those those people who are having to do everything, and are you doing anything to manage that? Uh, yes, I think oftentimes we'll try to fill some of the gaps that they have in terms of like life skills when they come in, like some kids come to university and they've never done their own laundry or cooked a meal for themselves or, you know, had to go to bed on time. Like they have this freedom now and they're not quite sure how to use it. And some people have the maturity and they can understand that they, you know, they have to schedule things and, but oftentimes not like for the most part. And so, um, I think some of the skills that we haven't really talked about is, is you know the recovery stuff so the sleep and the nutrition and that sort of thing and getting them to understand what do they have to what do they have to do and how do they how do they have to manage their time right time management becomes this huge thing that most high school students aren't very good at most people in university aren't very good at most people in general aren't very good at and so uh, I guess as an example One of the, I read uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yes, I love that book. Yeah, it was so good. And I think what I'm starting to realize now for myself is that it's when we want to make changes in our life, whether it's we want to get a bigger bench press or we want to get more sleep, it's we have to we have to take things slow. And so some of this research too comes from Precision Nutrition, but and how they handle things is they're really only trying to change one thing at a time, right? And so uh, you might have a goal that you want to you know bench press 20 pounds more by whatever date or you want to be able to a better example might be the more universal example is I want to go to bed half an hour earlier right or an hour earlier than I usually do and for a student athlete that might be huge because that might be the difference between going to bed at 2 a.m. and 1 a.m. or whatever it is and so um, 
really breaking it down into chunks. And James Clear, I won't I won't do it justice by trying to go through all the steps, but he's got great info on his website. I think it's just jamesclear.com. Yep. In the show notes, Aaron. Yes, in the show notes. <laughs> go sign up for his email list. Yeah. I signed up for it. It's great. Yeah, he's good. He's got good stuff on Instagram too. Um, and the book's great, and it's an easy read. And uh, the way Precision Nutrition kind of breaks it down is. Um, you know, having your, your outcome goal. So that would be, I want to be able to go to bed an hour earlier and then they break it down into skills and then practices. So what skill do I need to develop in order to actually go to bed earlier? And for some people that skill might be time management. So in the next two weeks, what are two things I'm going to practice daily, which are their habits that they need to do consistently every day for the next two weeks in order to get better at that skill. And so that, you know, the time management thing might break down into, you know, scheduling things in your calendar, right? You do that every day and then, and then being able to stick to that. Um, I don't know what might be another example. Whatever it is that another daily practice or habit that you need to do that you don't currently do in order to have better time management, that's going to help you reach your goal of being able to go to sleep. Because if now you don't have to, you know, cram study, right? Something yeah. pops up, you've taken care of all your responsibilities and you've stuck to the schedule that you've set for yourself, then, you, then you're able to go to bed. Yeah. Right? Um, and it might be deeper than that. And people, you know, they might need different interventions with, th- so that might work great or they might need to see a counselor or they might need to try different techniques because they have trouble getting to sleep, right? So maybe they're using, you know, meditation or breathing techniques or whatever it is. But that's just kind of an example. And I think, you know, change doesn't happen fast. Change is also a slow cook. And so people especially want things that, you know, change really quickly. Like, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, a chef might say, well, I, you know, I want to get more sleep. I don't want my knees to hurt anymore. And I don't want my feet to hurt in the morning. And it's like, it's going to take months, you know, mm-hmm. to do the things that you need to do in order to achieve that. And I think what's important is that restaurants and, and, you know, these places of employment develop programs and do this needs analysis, like Mac was talking about, like, what do these people need? Right, and then give them the tools and put adequate and and, and put appropriate, I should say, uh, asks of them. Right, stresses on them, so it's not like, hey, we're gonna underpay you, which is typical in the hospitality industry, yeah. and then we're gonna like work you to the bone until like you're an alcoholic and then you quit. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, the industry is also sort of a party scene. Yeah. You know, so you have those uh, factors playing into it too, especially anybody that works late night. Um, you know, so you're going to be coming off work at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. A lot of people are going out of that point, connecting with friends. You know, the industry is kind of rife with that too, right? Where I know many people who started when they were 20 and were able to do 12 hours in the kitchen, go out drinking with people at night, go to bed for a few hours and turn around and do it again. You know, and nobody kind of came to them until they start, you know, feeling really worn out 10 years later. Yeah. Um, or they less were really time. angry all the time. Yeah, <laughs> really like angry all the time. Right? Like, oh man, come <laughs> on. For ten Gordon years, Ramsey. even less that, right? Like maybe five years later, and then they're like, oh, you know, this is really taxing, right? This isn't as easy as it used to be, and we're kind of, you know, kind of catches up on you, you know. And for the businesses to kind of get in front of that, right? Or the culinary schools, yeah, uh, which is something that uh, I'm, you know, bugging them about. Uh, slowly but surely, um, you know, sending those emails. Um, but the, you know, saying, hey, this is something that, like, we should be preparing students for, you know, and saying, this is what you're walking into. Here's how you can help manage the stressors. Um, it's something that, that's my little soapbox around it, but, you know, I'll keep that conversation happening. And, you I know. actually know an instructor at a 
uh, college, I'll connect you with him, Nick Fortis. So, Nick, there you go. Perfect. Yay. <laughs> you're going to get an email from Aaron. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. I'm really cheery an email, I promise. Uh, but awesome. I think that's really great, but uh, I thought I would end this interview really quick with what's the favorite part of your job? I always ask everyone that. So... I know it's tough. That's a really big question for the strength conditioning coaches. Usually chefs are like... Well, I, I was just trying to think of something different than I'd usually say, but it's not like... There's so many good things, right? Every job has frustrations and, and whatever, but ultimately it's the people, right? The people who work with, get to work with Mac and Justin and all our student staff and people like you every day, our student athletes and our coaches. And so, you know, ultimately, you know, there's, they're mostly good people and, and want to do the right thing, and our student athletes are pretty inspiring, so it's cool to see how they manage things and and developing the relationships with them through the course of you know their their careers as a as a student athlete. So for me, it's always the people. I think for me, it would be the people in any job. Yeah. yeah, people really underlie like the reason why you do things. When you make the connections with them, like you're more invested in trying to help them and help them reach their goals. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like that's what we're trying to do, right? Yeah, yeah. It's always the people, right? It's that culture. It's that family um, that you create around it, right? Um, and that's sort of the magic of the job, right? So I get to try and help that when I'm at the corporate wellness job, trying to get office employees to have a little bit more fun. Yeah. So I'm dangerous. You're a fun guy, so it's probably not. I'm fun. Right. I'm dangerous. Like Kawhi. I, it's funny because <laughs> I. It's yeah, right. Uh, it's kind of funny because I find at my job, my day job, I have. I I always feel like I'm like I'm there by design to be disruptive, right? Um, which is totally fine, right? Not in, like, a bad way, like, getting in the way of the business, but I am there to kind of get you up out of your desk, to get you connecting, to get you, you know, coming to these programs, whatever it may be. And I do find sometimes, like, let's say I'm doing a corporate stretch break, you know, the music comes on and all this stuff, and I always feel like I might as well be, like, throwing a Molotov... Right? Yeah. (laughs) I always feel like I might as well just be, like, throwing, like, a Molotov cocktail in the office. (laughs) By the way, some people, like, look at me with, like disgusted horror and some people like run away because they're like he's here again run yeah. uh, so I but you know the people that I do get to engage sometimes too in the weight room right but that that ability to connect right and that ability to engage people um, it's pretty awesome and it's cool to see that sort of a effect that you can have on an office right and even clients I don't work with anymore there's people in those offices that are still doing the stretches I brought forward Right, and sending me like little Instagram stories, being like, "Look, I'm still doing those stretches," and I'm like, "Yes, you know, that's that's the cool part, right? Yeah. At least for me, right?" Um, but I think I'm gonna leave it at that for our wonderful interview portion. I think that was awesome. I think we got lots of good stuff. We're gonna come back in a second and do some crazy restaurant stories because I think you might have one. I always have one because I have a myriad of them. Do we see? No. So yeah, <laughs> we'll come back in a second, and then we'll go from there. Hey, listeners, I need a little bit of your help. If you like this podcast, I want you to go and rate and review and subscribe to it wherever you find your podcasts, Uh, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be. Particularly on iTunes, if you give me a review along with rating it, it really helps other people find this podcast. And I really want this podcast to go wide and far because we have 
two million people in the food service industry in Canada, and we affect 22 million people per day. So I want lots of people to hear this, and I want this podcast to go wide and far. And what's even better than rate reviewing and subscribing it is that if you like an episode, share it around. Make an Instagram post. It's really easy. Especially if you use Spotify, you can just go and share it really straight to your Instagram feed, share it on Facebook, send it to a friend, whatever you want to do to help this podcast get around. Because I love this podcast and I want more people to hear it. So go do that for me. And if you want to be on this show, you can always send me an email at Aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca. Now, without further ado, let's get back to those crazy restaurant stories. back yay i don't know I'm, I'm sure whatever my ad segment was that i just did um was great uh i don't know what it was but i'm sure i picked a great piece of music and i was entertaining and i probably top gun music top gun music yes. oh, i'm gonna do that i'll do that for this episode i'll find something that sounds like top gun that's free yeah. and just like drop it in there and we'll have a great time but we're getting into our crazy restaurant stories and i always start and uh, you actually remind me when you were talking about like hole in the wall coffee shop yeah. uh, during the first interview portion of an experience I had as a guest at a coffee shop um, in Toronto, uh, a really awesome chain, um, but they're kind of smaller. Like they have that like you know neighborhood coffee shop feel. I won't say the name of the chain, but the I was back when I was an undergrad. I was coming to Toronto for the weekend, and I had some studying to do. I got there like Friday morning, and uh, this was before everyone had Google Maps on their phones, so like. I, like, researched where I wanted to go on, like, Blog.to, and I found this cafe, and I was like, I'll go do work there for a few hours before I, you know, continue on. So I got to the cafe um, over just off King Street, and it's, like, an old house turned into a cafe, and a really busy place. So, like, you know, there's, like, a giant lineup. All the business people always come there, and there's lots of tables open when I walk in, but by the time I'm through the line, there's no tables left. I'm trying to think of what shop you're talking about. We'll talk about it off the air. What's <laughs> uh, the intersection? Uh, it's probably like, it's before King and Spadina, but okay. I think. But it's like in an old house. Um, and like, you know this this chain. Uh, I'm sure you know it. But, uh, <laughs> the, but yeah, so I get to the end of the line, they're about to hand me my latte. And uh, uh, I just say, that. I'm like, oh, actually like there's no tables left. Um, I'm, you know, just putting it to go cup for me instead because, like, I'll just go and figure it out, whatever. And the lady working the barista stand is like, oh, that's not a problem. And she, like, looks over at a table where there's, like, a local. And she, like, yells her name and she's like, because the lady had, like, she was sitting and then she had stuff on the other chair. And she was like, move your things. We need him to sit there. <laughs> and she did not look happy about this lady. Um, and she, so she begrudgingly moves her stuff, and the barista lady looks back at me, and she's like, neighborhood coffee shop, neighborhood coffee shop rules. <laughs> and she had, like, a really gruff voice, which made it funnier. Uh, so I went and sat down and, like, thanked this lady for letting me sit there, and she, like, never made eye contact with me again. It was just, like, really annoyed, because I'm, like, reading from my, like, textbook, trying to, like, you know, study whatever it was. So, like, that's kind of the magic that you see with, like, local coffee shops, right? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, you just never know. It's always a little wild, right? And I've worked as a barista in those coffee shops, and that's what happens sometimes, right? So, I know when I was working downtown Guelph, 
uh, in a coffee shop, people would come, like, students would come to study and would just leave their stuff there and, like, go away. So, like, we would just, like, clear it off and, like, put it in the back and watching people, like, lose it as they came back in, like, their laptop and everything's gone. And I don't know why people thought it was okay, but, like, I guess they thought it was, like, the university where you can, like, get a study spot and maybe leave it. I don't know. Anyway, students are hilarious. Um, but they, they just didn't have the mental capacity to remember that they'd left all their stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're really just walking as, like, a, a fog or a zombie by that point in exam season, right? So, but uh, what's your story? Uh, yeah, and you made me think, because I, I knew we were going to go here, and I was thinking of things, and I'm like, ah, I've been to some cool restaurants, I couldn't think of anything too crazy, but I did think um, about the time that I was kind of a restaurant, and I traveled to the Women's Hockey U Sports National Championships in Calgary uh, with our women's hockey team, uh, this would have been, I think, three or four, year, four years ago now, wow, time flies. And uh, my job there wasn't really to be a strength coach, but I made every meal that we ate for the whole time we were there, except for maybe like a couple. We went out to the keg one night, like just one night, like people went out with their parents and stuff. But so we didn't have any, like we just had normal hotel rooms. So we bought like a griddle at Canadian Tire. Uh, we brought a, a crock pot. Um, I bought some like spatulas and spoons and stuff. And then I figured out the menu for the week. So I made all kinds of stuff. Remember we did, um, so every morning for breakfast, I would make like like yogurt cups. It was like Greek yogurt. And then they could put like, and I had berries and like, we had like honey and uh, nuts and like different stuff they could do. I made, um, we were there for St. Patty's Day. So I made green pancakes one day. Oh, nice. But anytime, and I did like egg sandwiches and stuff. But anytime I used the griddle, We'd set off the smoke detector in the room, so the whole like the the the, the fire alarm was going off, and like the whole hotel, <laughs> and then we'd we'd be like you know shaking the the towel at the at the smoke detector, um, and so I really thought we were gonna get kicked out at one point because it happened like three times in a row, but um, did that, and then uh, I remember making um, honey garlic chicken from scratch, like that was one of the requests. And so did that in a crock pot. Never done it before. Oh, okay, like in a that. crock pot. I was like, yeah. where did you get an oven? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like chicken thighs in a crock pot and rice and stuff. So, and then uh, we had, so the, the team manager was kind of like my, my assistant. He, you know, we drove to Costco together, grocery store, Canadian Tire to get all the stuff and the food and everything. And, and then we went, uh, one of the girl's parents lived like just outside of Calgary. So one day we went up there and used their kitchen and they had a beautiful house, huge, like huge kitchen, huge island. And I was nice. like, all right. You know, Perfect. so we like, we did, we missed the game. We didn't even go to the game. We had to watch it online because we were like making food for the next two days, basically. Nice. Um, we had, like a quinoa salad with like a lime, uh, so, uh, lime and uh, cumin, uh, dressing with uh, like black beans and and uh, goat feta and um, uh, avocado in it, and we grilled up a bunch of chicken breasts and made all kinds of stuff. So that was a that was a fun experience. A little bit stressful to make that much food. Like I was making food for like 30, 32 people. Yeah. For every meal. Yeah. And then trying to like keep it cold and or hot and store it and. That's yeah. like restaurant level production. It was, it was actually, I impressed myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's I impressed myself. Nice. Um, you know, it's funny when I was working with the figure skating team, like we would always do, like we would go shopping if we were going to competition and have like all sorts of random like fruit or whatever, 
um, for people to grab, you know, while they're hanging out at the rink all day. Because usually when we were going to a rink, there's nothing around yeah. in the middle of nowhere. So, like, you couldn't go and just, like, go get food. You'd have to bring everything with you. And the Queens was always over the top. They brought, like, six crockpots with them and everything <laughs> for, like, a one-day competition. And it was always outside of their change room. So they would always have, like, tons and tons of stuff. And it was always entertaining because I was always like, who's making all this food? But now that I hear the story, it was probably someone on that team, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, there and uh, helping out and making all that. I don't know how they, like, they would bring, like, um, power bars to be able to plug all the crockpots in. That's crazy. Yeah, so, like, they just had, like, a full thing. No other team was, like, as crazy about so as Queens was. I have to ask, did they win? Did Queens win? They were always one of the upper echelon teams. Yeah. So we were usually, it was always, um, when I was there, <laughs> but it still is, uh, was uh, Guelph, Queens, Western, Toronto, and Ryerson was usually in that mix as well. Mm -hmm. And we would all just, like, battle it out. And uh, so it kind of varied depending on the talent you got that year, right? Yeah. You know, because sometimes uh, a university would just all of a sudden have somebody who's been competing at Worlds previously and show up and be able to, like, clean up a whole event because, like, how can you compete with somebody who's, like, pumping out, like, multiple triples, right? But then, you know, other years uh, it would be more balanced or we'd have, like, really great people. And it was cool because I got to be on the ice dance side. So, you know, and I had, like, long-term projects, right? So it would be, you know, somebody who comes in, it's, like, a first year on the team, I'd be like, great, you're one of our ice dancers, but you're probably not on the ice competing for two years, yeah. right? Because you're gonna be, we're gonna be working you through, and we'd have sort of a production line over those five years of getting people um, through. But then we could clean up, right? Because we've yeah. been working with them for you know five years, and like they've been training. Slow cook. Slow cook, right? Same thing, right? That's and like a, uh, that's a brisket and in, in my smoker for right. 12 plus hours exactly right so uh yeah so i think we could talk all day about this but uh <laughs> you know because we could just sit here and talk all day and i don't want to waste too much of your time so i'm gonna leave it at that but thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me i My think pleasure. this connects everything together mac left uh so that's why you're not <laughs> hearing from him anymore but he had to go but uh yeah thanks so much because i think this starts to connect everything together and the ethos of this project and this podcast is that we're seeing everything come together, hopefully, mm -hmm. and bringing more tools and more voices forward. And I've chatted with chiropractors, other kinesiologists, all sorts of people. So uh, hopefully this helps uh, put another piece of that puzzle into it. I'm going to shout out my social media so if people want to get in touch with me. Yes, yeah. How can people find you? How do people follow you? Okay, so if you want to see... Uh, pictures and videos mostly of my two and a half year old or my dogs uh instagram jd ford 85 yes uh sometimes i post training stuff too but it's mostly personal and then really the only other thing i do is twitter and i'm just trying to see what my thing is uh at jdc ford perfect yeah. awesome so if you want to follow josh go do it uh, he has Put it in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. My show <laughs> notes are getting so long, uh, but yeah. So go give a go give him a follow. It's pretty good content. You get to see all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and yeah, we'll leave it at that. Thanks, buddy.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya